This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Walensky. We're talking about books, about theater, about film, and sometimes about politics. My guest is Nora Peel, who is the director for literary programs at the Bay Area Book Festival, which runs in Berkeley, May 6th and 7th, Saturday and Sunday. There are some events earlier in the week, particularly on May 4th. Nora Peel, previously the executive director of the Boston Book Festival, executive director of Back Bay Ringers, that's in Boston, and the author of a series of books called Social Issues First Hand. But let's first start by talking about your relationship to the festival, and then we'll go into a couple of the highlights of this year's festival. Uh, this is what, the fifth, sixth year? The ninth year, actually. The couple of virtual festivals, but yes, year nine. And we're back into the world of live, though I would assume that afterward, many of these panels and interviews will be available at baybookfest.org on demand afterward? Yeah, we're doing fewer video recordings this year. Just a handful of sessions will be video recorded, but we do try to capture the audio of everything, and then we sort of tighten that up and release it in a series of podcasts over the following months. Let's go back, Nora Peel. How did you come to be um, the director for literary programs at Bay Area Book Festival, and what was the transition like between Sherilyn Parsons and you? Coming here was actually, it was sort of a happy circumstance of COVID, um, in as much as during the pandemic, a number of book festival directors started meeting semi-regularly on Zoom just to sort of share best practices. And as we were all shifting to producing our festivals virtually, supporting one another, whereas previously we had been very much geographically siloed, there would be no reason for the Boston Book Festival and the Bay Area Book Festival to talk with each other directly. But it became a really wonderful and supportive and knowledgeable community. So I had gotten to know Sherilyn and gotten familiar with her work through that group. And then when she had an opening in, I guess it was late 2021, it happened to be a good time for me and my family. We were looking for possibly having a little bit of a change of scene. And it seemed like a really great possibility. And so, yeah, so we made the big move from Boston out to the Bay Area um, right around the beginning of 2022. Why did Sherilyn decide to pass it on? She's still on the scene for this year as the executive director, and I will be assuming the reins as interim executive director upon her departure in June. She's had a, a novel in the works for for many years. She took a well-deserved sabbatical in the summer of 2022, and I think that space sort of opened the realization that you know maybe she needed to step back and prioritize her own health and other projects. It's, it's a lot of work to spearhead and found an organization that has become as big as the Bay Area Book Festival. And so, yeah, she's just taking a, a well-deserved step back and time away. Was the Boston Book Festival that you worked on 
You only did that for a couple of years, but I guess the first year you did it was pre-pandemic, right? So I was actually there for 10 years. I was only the executive director for the last couple of years that I was there, but I started as the uh, director of communications and development and then had a series of promotions. But yes, I did do both in-person and virtual events at the Boston Book Festival. Was that process pretty much the same as you found here? The Boston Book Festival was always or pretty much always just a single day festival. So producing a full weekend is another sort of challenge entirely in terms of the number of authors that are involved in the logistics involved. But and in Boston, I just had a much smaller team. And so that was actually one of the things that made the Bay Area move attractive was that there is more support here and just a bigger team to work with and sort of collaborate with on producing the festival. I noticed on the uh, on the web page that this year, most events are free. That's right. That's a big shift for this year. We really wanted to reflect our values as an organization in terms of making the festival as inclusive and accessible as it's possible to be. Of course, this is shifting our business model pretty significantly, and we're really relying on those audience members who show up and can support the festival financially uh, to do so, so that it can remain free and truly inclusive for everybody in the community. Are there new venues that you're also working with? It looked to be mostly the venues you've had in the past. Yes, I think that's true. I don't think there's any truly new venues this year. Um, We have a, well, actually, I I take that back. Um, We are doing a full day of youth programs in the Berkeley Public Library's central branch, which we've done some limited programs there in the past, but not to the extent that we're doing this year. Nora Peel, let's talk a little about what's on tap for the festival Obviously, trying to bring in the broad range of creative and political ideas and panels and interviews. Uh, I noticed that you're bringing in Dave Eggers on Saturday at 11 a.m. How did that come about? This is an interesting project for Dave and and his illustrator, um, Sean Harris. It's a middle grade novel This told from the perspective of a dog. The book itself is beautiful. It's actually, it's it's got a wooden dust jacket, the wooden cover, sort of like laser cut. It's just beautiful. His publisher came to us and let us know that the, the book was coming out with a pub date very close to the festival. We're really promoting this as an all ages event. The book is primarily written for children, but it is so universal in its themes and its appeal. I mean, who doesn't love a dog story, right? So we're really hoping that attendees of all ages come because, of course, Dave is just entertaining regardless of your age or background. And I noticed that competing with it at 11 a.m. is a panel discussion with Jane Smiley, Joan Frank, and Dorothy Lazard. I've interviewed Jane multiple times, including for the latest book. How did that come about and what's going to be the focus there? And that's also at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that's the book festival attendees dilemma, right, is figuring out which of the many competing programs are are going to be the best use of your time. So Jane's actually in two different sessions for this year's festival. 
That one is on her latest work of nonfiction, which is a collection of essays about sort of her reading and writing practice. And so that was kind of the springboard into creating this whole session around thinking about one's life and about one's writing in terms of the books that you've read, which, I mean, there's no better way to start off a book festival day, right, Um, is sort of setting that kind of context and thinking really deeply and, and talking really deeply about how the books that we've read and the ideas that stay with us affect our lives and, in the case of these authors, affect their writing. And also at the same time, there's there's another one on nature writing. Question, when you're putting the festival together, how does that work, trying to find different panels or interviews that won't drive someone who wants to see two of them crazy? There's no perfect solution there. We we do sometimes go go through the exercise of like imagining a profile of a certain book festival attendee, somebody who loves nature or somebody who's a mystery buff or somebody who loves sci-fi and try, sort of try to guess like what would this person how what would this person's book festival day look like. But of course, you know, nobody falls quite so easily into those categories. You know, some people like sci-fi and they also like history. There's no perfect route through the festival. We do try to avoid having too many sessions that focus on, for example, writing craft all up against one another, because we know that the festival attracts a lot of aspiring writers, and we want them to have a sort of natural pathway through the festival. It's sort of an art and a science. And and then there's there's just the logistics too. Like, you know, like I mentioned, Jane Smiley's doing two sessions and they can't compete with one another. So, because she can't be in two places at once either. So figuring out those puzzle pieces and then putting them together in a way that is as reasonably accessible as we're able to make it for for any given attendee. And then at 12.30 on Saturday, May 6th, Adam Hochschild on the First World War. And I notice that's a little different because it focuses in a completely different area than other elements of the festival. Did he come to you? Did his agent come to you? How did that work? He's been a longtime friend of the festival. He's appeared in the festival um, on several occasions, both as a moderator and presenter. That was a case where, you know, he's just one of those folks that he's in the ether here in, in the Bay Area. And we knew that he had this relatively recent book come out. He always does a, a beautiful job um, with a, a hour-long presentation, including slides, and he's just such an engaging speaker. So we knew we definitely wanted to include this narrative that he's put together, especially considering its ongoing relevance in the current state of our democracy. That's sort of the takeaway from his work of history. And before we get into the politics of things, uh, let's go through a couple of other ones. Cory Doctorow is appearing on Saturday at 3.30 and then Sunday at 11. Are those two different kinds of talks he's giving? Yeah, so he's a prolific guy. He's got two relatively recent books. So he's coming to talk about Choke Point Capitalism, which is his latest work of nonfiction. And that really is about how these corporate entities are kind of squeezing any sort of creatives who want to make a living through their creative work. 
which obviously has a lot of resonance with both book festival speakers and with attendees. And then he's also coming to talk about his latest sort of techno thriller, um, Red Team Blues. It's a work of fiction, and that should be just a, a lot of, uh, that should be really entertaining as well. Then at 7.30, I guess at Freight and Salvage, I think that is Joan Baez. Is she just going to be talking about her book on painting? Is she going to be performing? Yeah, so she'll be in conversation with Greg Saris, a longtime friend of hers, about her new work, her new book, which is a collection of her of her drawings. And there's a short essay at the at the beginning. You know, that's what she's been doing lately. That's what, where her creative energies are right now. And it's going to be a interview, um, complete with slides. There's been no discussion of her performing, um, but she is, you know, just obviously such an important figure in the history of music and social activism. And so I'm sure that her and Greg's conversation will touch on on those things as well. Was the Boston Book Festival as focused on activism as the Bay Area Festival? Boston always had a fairly political focus or lineup, a little less so in you know the ongoing history and legacy of of the social activism of like the 60s and 70s, which clearly has such resonance here in the Bay Area. But yeah, I think most book festivals do try to incorporate themes of social justice and political activism, just given the nature of the audiences who are drawn to our programs. A couple more guests at the festival on Sunday, May 7th, Alexandra Petri of the Washington Post, she writes humor columns, political humor columns, will be at the festival at 1230. How did she come to be what she's going to be doing? She's got a new book out, right? Yeah, so her new book promises to be hilarious. It's a play on AP US history, but it's Alexandra Petri's US history, i.e. her version of past events. So it's a lot of pseudo documents. And, you know, just she just puts her satirical take on history um, in the same way that she has done with current events in her Washington Post columns and in her previous collections of humorous pieces. She's great. She's a national champion at punning, and she'll be interviewed by a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle on the stage there. So that promises to be a really interesting and funny conversation. And up against that is Eve Ensler, now known as V who is a playwright and activist as well. I guess, is she on tour for a book? Yeah, so she has a recent, it's a memoir of sorts. It's a collection of her essays, some journal writing that she's done, um, letters. It's, it's really sort of a collage of different forms of writing that traces her, primarily her history of, of activism over the last few decades. Two other events I want to bring up. One is a panel on Octavia Butler and Parable of the Sower, and that's on Sunday afternoon. How did that one come about? Aya de Leon, who's worked with the festival a number of times previously, came to us and said that she wanted to put together a session about climate fiction, which is you know really her focus recently. And so she and I got on the phone and started sort of talking through like, well, what would be the focus of this? What kind of directions would we pull in? 
And in that context, that conversation, we realized that the parable of the sower was having its 30th anniversary this year. So her idea was, wouldn't it be great to build a session around that? So it's her and then Camille Dungy, who's coming to town for her to present her memoir in a different session, and then a poet. And so they're coming at it from three different perspectives, but talking about the ongoing relevance, increasing relevance, frankly, of Octavia Butler's a classic that's having such a, a momentous uh, milestone this year. W. Kamau Bell kind of concludes the festival Sunday at 5.30 p.m. with a talk about taking action on racism. He and his co-author, Kate Schatz, are both local. And this is another case where the publisher reached out to us and suggested that you know they know a lot of the themes that the festival has addressed in the past. Um, they have this really wonderful, it's like, it's like a workbook. Like there's like fill in the blanks and there's like places to color and like tear things out. It's very engaging. It's making an anti-racism education a little less scary for people, but it's still like got amazing, really useful, practical information about how to have difficult conversations and how to think through difficult topics for yourself. They've done this uh, versions of this event um, for, uh, over the past few months, but we were really excited to have them be the capstone session at this year's festival, just because we think that the work that they're doing is so important and their approach to doing it is so accessible, funny, inviting, and just really giving people the tools that they need to do whatever comes next. Where is that going to be held? That'll be in the Freight and Salvage. That's the other ticketed event besides the Joan Baez one on Saturday evening. Nora Peel, let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you get into the book business? I was an English major as an undergrad, and I went to graduate school um, at the University of Illinois intending to become an academic, but I quickly realized that I actually didn't like teaching college students as much as I imagined I would. The university press there at, at Univers University of Illinois had a internship program for graduate students to learn about academic publishing. And I applied and was awarded that internship. And then after I got my master's degree, they hired me on full time. And so I worked in academic publishing for a while. I had also worked in a bookstore while I was in graduate school to sort of supplement my teaching assistantship. And then, yeah, I ended up doing some freelance work based on the type of work I had been doing in publishing and also doing some nonprofit work with the with the Back Bay Ringers, which is a handbell ensemble in Boston. And so when I saw a job posting for the Boston Book Festival, I hadn't been looking for full-time employment. That job seemed to really encapsulate my interest in books and publishing and also my nonprofit experience that I had developed. You know, I, I really thrived on the work. I love putting festivals together. It's just such a rewarding type of undertaking in as much as everything seems very theoretical and pretty creative, actually. But then you get to see the actual 
you know, results in a very real and tangible way of all the work that you've been doing for, for close to a year by the time that the festival actually happened. And then it's gone and you're going, huh? <laughs> exactly. It's like any big event, right? Like you you plan for months or years for a wedding and it's over in a matter of hours. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a wild emotional journey. And I always sort of warn, you know, we, we work with a crop of interns every year. And it's always like this this is really like, it's emotionally and physically intense. And, and then it's over and you sort of take a deep breath and they're like, okay, so what did we learn and what, and what's next? But at least for you on the day after you do have to start thinking about, okay, now we're in the off season. What do we do now? But you're not there yet. <laughs> no, we're not, not thinking too far, far beyond. I mean, that's the ongoing conversation that I think every annual event has is how do you maintain relevance and name recognition and serve your audiences at other times during the year in a way that you can also achieve successfully given the, the capacity that you have. Are the social issues firsthand books and are they available? Yeah, so they are books that I was hired to write and edit back when I was, I had mentioned that I was freelancing full time. That was part of it. And yeah, it was a publisher called Gale Publishing out of Michigan. And they would send me a list of topics to focus on. And I would choose the ones that seemed most interesting or relevant or achievable. And, and yeah, find articles and then create the front matter and all of that stuff. An interesting project. I also happy to have that in my back catalog at this point. I know you had mentioned wanting to talk about, about book banning. My husband actually pointed out a a few weeks ago that one of those books actually appears on a list of banned and challenged books from some uh, school district somewhere. <laughs> so that's that was interesting to see that ongoing life of that series. What was the book that was banned? I don't remember now. There, th- It could be any number of them. I mean, I, 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 there was one on abortion. I had one on eating disorders. You know, the, there's there were a few that could have fallen in that category. I imagine it's probably the abortion one, but I don't know for sure. How many were there in all? I think I did six or eight of them altogether. And they consisted of a essay to open it and then essay that you wrote and then essays about the subject matter? Yes, that's right. With a little mini intro to each one of the essays. Were those essays published elsewhere or were they published for the books? The essays that were collected had been previously published elsewhere. They were news articles or things from other anthologies, that sort of thing. And I sort of fell into it because I had been doing and permissions work was most of what I did when I was working in academic publishing. So I was pretty good at finding, you know, who was the rights holder for any of these articles. Oh, that's kind of detective work. It is. I like doing that kind of thing. (laughs) So, okay. So you find an article somewhere. And you want to use it. And in, in quickly, how, what would be your process of getting from the article to can we use it? And can we use it for free? Yeah. Usually start with a copyright page, of course, and see 
how many different entities are uh, credited there. If it's just a publisher, it's usually pretty straightforward, especially when I was working in rights and permissions. I knew most of the big players, so I could pretty much just call or email them and find out what might be involved. They always wanted to know certain things like, you know, what's the print run of, of your book and what's the intended audience and what's the geographic distribution? Like, will this be sold worldwide or just in the US? And all of that is plugged into an algorithm and then spits back out what they're going to charge you for it. In the case of these anthologies, there would be permissions fees, but the publisher that I mentioned would would pay them on on my behalf. Um, that, that wasn't something that I had to cover myself. If people wanted to buy them, are they on, on Amazon now? I don't know if any of them are still in print, but there there are still yeah used copies floating around on <laughs> on various reseller sites for sure. They really were designed for the the library market and for teachers who wanted sort of an easy if they were doing a unit on a social issue to be able to have a fairly well curated collection of of articles that had been vetted to draw from as they were preparing packets for their students to read or, or discuss in class. One of the big issues right now, of course, as we you mentioned, is book banning. Uh, are, are there any panels about libraries and school libraries where issues like book banning are discussed? We don't have anything explicitly about that this year, although certainly the topic comes up. One of the sessions that I'm most excited about this year is actually one that's ostensibly about the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, but it's actually about the photographers who documented the, the camps and about what they were and were not allowed to show. And my hope is that out of that conversation will come discussions about who's allowed to tell what stories and how are, how are stories told and, and what are we as the public finding out about any sort of given moment in history. And of course, that has increasing relevance. The one other thing that we are that I'm really excited that we're putting in our this our program this year, and this shouldn't be a political statement, but I think this year it sort of is, is that we are featuring a drag story hour on one of our outdoor stages on Sunday. So I'm really I'm really pleased about that. Trying to balance hope and optimism with an increasingly scary future that we're looking at. When you're programming, does that come into your mind or are you just looking for the best possible people for the best possible panel. This comes up all the time during our programming discussions. You know, I think we tend to early on in the conversation, like in the planning process, gravitate toward those big issues, the heavy issues, the ones that we know will prompt really deep reflection and discussion. But those are also tend to be the ones that if, if that were the only program that we put together, it would be a pretty dour and scary kind of lineup, to be honest with you. So figuring out how to include sufficient gravitas so that the festival can have some intellectual and political heft, but also have those moments of levity and joy. And, you know, this year we're featuring Trisha Hersey, whose whose book is like a perfect balance in as much as it's about rest and she's called the nap bishop is her sort of unofficial title she's encouraging people to step back from the capitalistic grind and to take a nap in the middle of the day so it sort of hits that self-care but also with kind of a hard edge 
behind it that I think hits the right balance for a book festival like ours. And for you, as someone who's been in books for a long time, how do you look at the current situation other than let someone else go off and start ranting and all you can do is shake your head and go, yeah, yeah, I agree. In terms of my professional role, um, I think one of the best things that everybody in our team does and every book festival does is to sort of create that space for civil discourse and in so doing combat that kind of closed-mindedness, the deliberate shutting down of an exchange of ideas. In more practical terms, I just signed our organization on as an organizational partner for a nonprofit effort called Unite Against Book Bans, which is an organization that offers support and advocacy around these issues. Their website is a great source of very specific tools that individuals and organizations can use to push conversations forward, start petitions, answer the sort of standard arguments that are put out there in terms of censorship and book banning. And finally, you are thinking a little bit about next year. Is it pretty much going to be more or less what we're seeing this year or in the back of your mind, are there some new things that might hit? We've talked a little bit as a as a team about with Sherilyn moving into a different role, how we might use this as an opportunity to obviously extend her vision, continue to honor that vision, but also really look at every aspect of the festival from A to Z in terms of, you know, what do we want this to look like going forward? Next year will be our 10th anniversary, and so that's a good opportunity to reflect on the last decade of amazing programming and to think really strategically and thoughtfully about what it's going to look like for the second decade. You've been listening to an interview with Nora Peel, who is the Director of Literary Programs, soon to be Executive Director at the Bay Area Book Festival, which runs Saturday and Sunday May 6th through 7th throughout Berkeley at Freight and Salvage, several other places, including the Berkeley Public Library. For more information, you can go to baybookfest.org. Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com and feel free to search out other interviews at bookwaves.com or on the kpfa.org website. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.